A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today on Truth and Movies, Zac Efron is Ted Bundy in Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile. It's about another missing girl, isn't it? Natalie Portman stars in Brady Corbett's post-9-11 pop music odyssey Vox Lux. Oh, I hate you. Is that the kind of garbage you've been putting in her head? And then, in Film Club, Zach is back in Lee Daniels' The Paperboy. This place is full of boys just like you who lost their temper one day. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, hello podcast listeners, Michael Leader in the chair this week. Quite a controversial, provocative week. We have serial killers, we have pop music uh, provocations, and we have David Jenkins. Yes, I am, I am controversial <laughs> in some quarters. And as long as we're not talking about Jason Reitman, I'm sure. There are other more controversial Jason Reitman despises than me, so <laughs> I'm happy. And we have a new contributor to the podcast this week, Caitlin Quinlan. Welcome, Caitlin. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Tell us a bit about yourself. So I am a film critic, journalist, um, write for Little White Lies, among others, podcasting around now, mm-hmm. which is fun. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, what sort of stuff do you write about for Little White Lies? Anything we can check out? So, I mean, a couple of reviews recently. Um, I actually was an intern at Little White Lies okay. a while ago, Ooh. back in the day. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's lots online, lots of festival coverage, mm-hmm. a few different articles here and there. Okay, well, we can search for that. But shall we crack on with this week's <laughs> bumper <laughs> yes. personality-filled lineup? First of all, we have Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, but that is the title of the film. We'll yes. see if that is a fitting <laughs> description of the film itself very shortly. This true crime drama from Oscar-nominated documentary filmmaker Joe Berlinger stars Zac Efron as the notorious serial killer Ted Bundy. But the narrative focuses squarely on Lily Collins as Liz, Bundy's long-term girlfriend, whose rosy memories of the man come into conflict with the grisly murder charges he faces. It's about another missing girl, isn't it? It's a mistake, Joe. The news said King County is looking at him in connection to the two girls that disappeared from Lake Sammamish that one summer. You remember... That sketch that we saw, it looked just like him. That sketch looked like everybody. Well, his name is on a suspect list. There were over 30,000 names at one point. Every brown-haired guy with a Volkswagen bug. It's a mistake. The police said he was cleared. How do you even know that? And why is he in jail? And how did his name get on that suspect list? I think you should leave. I think you should leave. 
So this is based on the book The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy by Elizabeth Kendall, who is Lily Collins, as you heard in that clip. Caitlin, this is a, an interesting way in to a serial killer film. Is it sufficiently different enough from what we expect? Yeah, definitely. It, it's interesting to sort of have this you know, perspective and this point of view of, of the girlfriend of Ted Bundy here. But I do think that going into it, some people are going to be aware of that, some people might not be. I think if you go into it and you're not aware that this is meant to be from her point of view, it might be quite a nice surprise and you might think that this is quite fairly balanced. But actually knowing that it was meant to be, you know, it, from that kind of angle, I don't think the film necessarily does it enough. I mm-hmm. think there could be more of a push to really sort of go deep into into her story because so much of, you know, the reason that she fell in love with this man I think goes fairly unexplored in the film and ultimately, you know, you end up back focusing very heavily on the man that committed these atrocities, which is, you know, not necessarily what the film was maybe aiming for. And it's such a star vehicle for Zac Efron. Exactly, yeah. Doing his, his Ted Bundy, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, actually, I don't think it's a bad performance. I, I found, actually, myself thinking of him in Hairspray, which was huh. bizarre, but that was the performance that kind of it sort of harkened back to for me because... Obviously, he's he's very showy and there's this whole point about how he was this real charmer and he kind of wooed the public as much as he did the courtroom. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very strange one to watch because, you know, you don't want to be taken in by him, but that's kind of the whole point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And also the narrative point of view, when we have to focus in on her experience of him being pulled in for charges and seemingly almost by coincidence being arrested and it seems so, from her point of view, where she's had this domestic bliss lifestyle with him it seems so out of out of the blue to happen you spend almost the first half of the movie almost thinking he's an innocent man which is a strange foot to start on for a serial killer drama would you say david it is a, such a strange film because i think as you say i totally agree with this idea that it really cops out on this mm-hmm. idea of this concept of let's imagine you were with bundy at the time and bad stuff you didn't know about <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's fascinating because it initially toys on that idea of the audience knowing exactly Mm -hmm. what he did and how bad it was. But then it's sort of almost by necessity. You almost feel that there's there's some kind of producer in the background cracking a whip saying, we need more Bundy. That's what what the people are paying for. So (laughs) it just completely cops out. And Lily Collins is essentially excised from the film about midpoint. She comes back for a few kind of let's see her crying on the sofa as as yeah. Ted, Ted yeah. is standing in court. But I saw that Zac Efron was in London recently mm. for the premiere and he, he was doing a few kind of red carpet interviews for this film, which itself is quite strange. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, he was like, you know, celebrities, like, I'm just doing this for the fans. This is like, I'm doing it for the victims. Um, and I think one of the things that this film really failed for me was that it was actually giving us a, a, a sense of the, the true scope of his crimes. There was very, mm-hmm. there is an assumed knowledge to the point where you actually come away from this film thinking that maybe he could have been innocent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And the sort of details that it goes into in the trial in the end, there it's written in a way where almost like kind of false drama, mm-hmm. where it's not an open and shut case. There's no, you know, watertight case against him. It's all down to this one thing. And the way that it's presented, you we, as a, you know, we're watching this thinking, oh, he basically was sent down on the strength of this one piece of evidence that mm. was very, very sort of tenuous. Mm-hmm. If you read up, it's not true at all. <laughs> there was loads of other stuff going on at the same time, but it's very, I think, yeah, it's a film that's highly selective about what you see 
and what you know about Ted Bundy, but it just doesn't have the courage of its conviction, I think, to stick with Lily Collins and mm-hmm. just have Bundy as more of a kind of spectre and in the background that you don't really know what he's doing. Instead, it focuses on what so many documentaries or films about Bundy focus in on, which is that he was a uniquely charming and handsome man. You couldn't possibly think he would hurt anyone. And also a very intelligent man in playing to the courtroom, playing to the presiding officers and judges and so on. I didn't expect to come out of this film thinking of Catch Me If You Can, the Steven Spielberg Leonardo DiCaprio movie. There's a sequence in the middle because it's probably the period, because it's this young man who charms his way out of every scrape and he escapes a few times once out of the window in a courtroom it's very similar to the shenanigans that Leonardo DiCaprio gets up to which is not what I expect about a guy who murdered upwards of 30 40 women and maybe more it's true yeah he's there is a sort of cheeky chappy (laughs) element to him I don't necessarily think that like Zac Efron is playing it for for that side of things Mm. like I don't I'm not sure that's in his head there is a sort of sense of desperation I think Mm -hmm. in there but yeah it's I guess when I watch a film about real events, about a real person, even if it's taking a sort of unique angle, but I always like to read the Wikipedia page afterwards. <laughs> like on the bus home, let's just have a read through the Wikipedia page to get a kind of... And I know that that is like, is not mm-hmm. the true history, but, you know, you certainly get more details and maybe you can see things in the film and in a slightly wider context. Reading up on him after the fact, it just felt like we only saw this very thin slither of of his life and what he did, basically. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see the purpose of the film. Mm. There is this whole thing about, you know, you don't see any... There's no violence in the film, apart from there's there's one thing at the the very end. Mm -hmm. I'd be surprised if it was an 18 rating, Mm -hmm. to be honest, because it's quite... So, you know, it's all about what happens when he's on his own and we don't, we're not with him. so And it's, it's strange because it's kind of about these relationships he has with, you know, Liz in his life and Caius Scodelario plays another um, another woman who sort of comes in and wants to defend him and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But in a lot of ways, any other woman in the film, I feel like the way they're treated is entirely counterproductive to the point of having it be from Liz Kendall's point of view. And I, I understand that, you know, the argument that he was a charmer and, you know, that everyone was, was wooed by him. But there are some scenes where they kind of interview women outside the courtroom just members of the public and I don't think it really serves any purpose other than to make them look quite silly Mm -hmm. and to sort of say you were in love with a serial killer and you know really we can gauge that from the fact that the court is completely charmed by him in those scenes and you know we know that he's on TV and we know how he riles the police officers up and he riles everybody up and we kind of don't need to see women sounding stupid I think it just doesn't doesn't really work there are specific shots of literal swooning as well yeah yeah when he's Bob, there Bobby Soxes outside <laughs> the court like yeah. you know yeah it's it is strange but Lily Collins, there is a kernel here of the film that I think could have been something special and it is in the final scenes, it's not spoilers but final confrontations between the characters where you realise how marked her life has been by this relationship which may have only been a few years of her actual life but then because of the media circus around Ted Bundy for the what 15-20 years that he before he was put to death that changed her life irrevocably but how do we feel about Lily Collins? It's quite appropriate this week, she's in this film as Ted Bundy's girlfriend and she's also in Tolkien as J.R.R. Tolkien's spouse how's she doing? Should we worry about her? Is she finding her footing? I mean I've got to say I've not yet seen her in a role that I've thought you know yeah Lily Collins is, mm. is one is someone I'm, I'm like really excited about I mean I'm not sure what her thing is yet. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she has a thing but I, I'm not sure I've seen it 
she doesn't really have much of a role here. She, mm-hmm. she you know, there, there's, it's a slightly one note. She's very scared. Like that's the tall and short of it, mm-hmm. really. I mean, you find out some things later on about the extent to which she suspected him, and uh, that kind of plays into this sort of finale, I guess. But even then, it's a film that I think suggests that even days before he was executed, there was still. ambiguity as to whether he'd done any of this Mm. or not that's the thing that really sort of stuck in the craw for me yeah quite misjudged film maybe (laughs) we we talk a lot about the four Chrises every time I think about Lily Collins I have to go Lily Collins Lily James (laughs) Lily Cole and then figure it out backwards the Lilies the Lilies and Savage as well maybe (laughs) Caitlin let's put some scores on this film so we have um, in anticipation enjoyment in retrospect I don't know anticipation I guess it depends if you you know if you care about serial killer movies if you have a sort of interest in that maybe it's a three for anticipation you know I was keen to see what Zac Efron would do with the role it was a very showy trailer as well which I think sits a bit uncomfortably sometimes but maybe a three for anticipation I kind of think this is like a three star across the board like mm-hmm. it's it's quite bland at the end of the day perfectly you know watchable and you know not too kind of taxing but not sort of you know outstandingly enjoyable to watch either probably threes all mm-hmm. the way through I think sure. David yeah, I kind of agree with that. I, th- I think that even even though I was maybe wholly negative <laughs> when talking about the film, <laughs> I must admit I did have a really interesting conversation over WhatsApp with um, podcast contributor Elena Lazic, mm-hmm. who was who was a big fan of this film and, and serial killer movies and, and, yeah, and serial like killer, killer, mo- killer movie, movies yeah. in general. And uh, I'd be keen to sort of see what her sort of wider take is on the film. Because I do think that if you are really into that world and you kind of hoover up these kind of... There is already a film about Ted Bundy called Bundy, which is more of a kind of straight horror film from the 90s, I think. I've not seen it, but I understand it. Like, you know, among the sort of serial killer elite, they, they yeah, it's one of the better ones. But, yeah, it's just a weirdly academic film that that's kind of trapped between these two. I mean, almost like Bundy himself is like, you know, there's this kind of, you know, showy faux intellectual side that has some darkness bubbling under that you don't really get to see mm-hmm. um, so yeah and your scores threes threes crossbow as well I think for me it's a 2-3-2 two, two. I didn't really I wasn't very particularly excited going into this I'm, film I might actually say I might actually say 3-2-3 three, three then oh, okay. I, I, I wasn't particularly in, in, enthralled by it while I was watching it but mm-hmm. I, even trying to explain it to my wife afterwards, it took quite a long time. <laughs> She's like, so what? You don't, what? You, it doesn't mention that, what? And so, yeah, it was I quite... will say as well, I find it very jarring when they put foot, like, the real life footage of the oh, people always, yeah. on the credits and it just completely wipes away everything that, you know, maybe Zac Efron has done well in his performance and just, yeah, you're, you're suddenly bombarded with footage of the real life Bundy and it's like, well, I didn't need to see that, you know, trust your film enough to, you know, prove that you've you've made a good Absolutely. kind of representation uh, it also might be worth mentioning though that on that note that Berlinger the di- Joe yeah. Berlinger the director he has made a four part um, <laughs> Bundy Netflix, Netflix doc on Bundy which is very very kind of cover all this is almost like a kind of slightly weird mirror image it almost feels like he's trying to do something pointedly different to that more kind of journalistic and it feels uh, like the TV movie as well it's very TV I think yeah thinking about the cast that come and go the guy from Big Bang Theory what's his yeah, name Jim oh, yeah Jim Parsons I haven't seen him Young in Sheldon. anything else yeah. Yeah. Sheldon from Big Bang yeah. old Sheldon in yeah. fact John Malkovich John Malkovich Mal- turns Mal- up yeah. as a judge you have James Hetfield from Metallica making his first dramatic acting uh, performance well Berlinger did some kind of monster he produced it didn't he yeah and yeah. Uh, 
actually Berlinger has done one of my favourite docs ever called Paradise Lost about mm-hmm. the West Memphis Three, which is another kind of ambiguous. It's about these three kids who were arrested for a murder, and it's about their trial and their and the way that they were victimised. And it's incredible. It's mm-hmm. this really twisty tale, and it's like he made this one long documentary, and then he made two catch up documentaries afterwards, like a trilogy. That should have been Film Club, actually. Oh, right. Well, we, 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 like, we like giving the listeners some homework, a little recommendation to go away and watch. Paradise Lost. All the volumes of Paradise Lost, including the follow-ups? They, they get a bit worse, but the first one is definitely amazing. Thank you very much, David. Well, that was Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile. Up next, we go from Padme to pop star. Natalie Portman stars in Vox Lux. Rafi Cassidy and Natalie Portman both star as the pop singer Celeste at opposite ends of 18 years of rise, fall and revival. In 1999, 13-year-old Celeste survives a school shooting and a song she performs at a memorial service becomes an unexpected hit. Then after almost two decades of stardom and scandal, an older, industry-hardened Celeste prepares to reveal a comeback album to the world. I don't understand how you can hate me so much. Oh, I hate you. Is that the kind of garbage you've been putting in her head? Because she told me all the sh- you've been putting on her shoulders you ungrateful sow i have a press conference and two hours of roundtables but i swear to god ellie if my daughter comes back to me pregnant with some cross-eyed guido's kitten litter a hepatitis z i will throw you off that balcony ah after everything i've done for you both <laughs> after everything you've done for us good job You've done it. Done what? You've hurt me. Embarrassed me. I've dedicated my whole life to Celeste. And I'll continue to do so. But if you threaten me ever again, I'll remind the world that I raised her child and that I write her songs. Stacey Martin and Natalie Portman there in a clip from Fox Lux. David, give us a sense of uh, Brady Corbett. So his first film... He was an actor beforehand, but his first film as director was Childhood of a Leader a couple of years ago. Should we ex- be excited about his second film? Off the back of that? Um, he's had an interesting career. He started off as a kind of young actor. He was in a, th- a live-action Thunderbirds movie, oh, which yeah. I saw many, many years ago. And um, you know how you get the kind of the Robert Pattersons and the, the Kristen Stewarts. They do their kind of big teen franchise movies and then they very kind of publicly reject them in favour of like artsy stuff he basically did that arc before it was cool (laughs) and he did Thunderbirds and then he was in this film called Mysterious Skin a Greg Araki film which was you know much more on the indie side of things and he kind of never came back from that and throughout the the noughts and and the tens he was seen in various French European <laughs> art house films I think the key thing here was that he was in a remake of Michael Haneke's Funny Games yep. and he is definitely a kind of acolyte of Michael Haneke <laughs> in a way that is quite troubling I think Child of a Leader is this film about young it's his directorial debut filmed on 70 mil like very <laughs> very lush uh, like period <laughs> drama and it's about a kind of preteen fascist dictator who who is I think unnamed but is I think intended to be Mussolini and it's very much a rip off of Michael Haneke's The White Ribbon which is about the kids in pre-fascist Germany and mm-hmm. the sort of the hatred that has been inset within them so um, and I think getting to the, sorry, to the point now, 
You asked me who Brady Crawler ask, was, yes. so you know I get to rattle on for a bit. But uh, Vox Lux is, I think, very similar in a way in that it uses this idea of, and I think it's quite a banal idea and doesn't hold much weight of people being like affected by their environment and growing up in this very kind of schematic way. Like if you're a person and this thing happens, this is how you're going to mm-hmm, grow up. Mm-hmm. In Child of a Leader, it's, it's this idea of you see the sowing of the seeds, you know, you see all this stuff happening and you can be like, oh, wow, that's why he did that later on. And, you know, it's and he kind of returns to this here. It's like this idea of, a, of, a, of Celeste who's gone undergone this kind of horrific trauma at the mm-hmm. beginning of the film we could talk about the the, the opening scene yeah right? of course yeah. can i mean the film opens on a rather kind of graphic school shooting as a kind of pre-credit sequence mm-hmm. which is which i think is sort of intended as a kind of precursor to not only celeste's lifelong trauma but the nation of the usa mm-hmm. we are entering this uh this sort of modern terrorist era this sort of the era of of fear mm-hmm. and uh the film essentially is about this idea of telling her life story, but also, I thought, a very cynical history of modern pop music mm. that, yeah. that maybe could have been interesting in some weird alternative dimension and with someone. So this is a film about pop music, and I didn't get a sense that Brady Corbett has ever listened to any pop music <laughs> in his life. The soundtrack of this film and the last film were done by Scott Walker, mm-hmm. who, he's someone who knows pop music and who, who rejected it, but... You know, Celeste is, ba- you know, when she's 18 in the 90s, she's basically, her first song is the soundtrack done by Sia. Yeah. Sia does the, the original songs, mm. maybe maybe four or five of them. that you, you hear both the young Celeste and then the old Celeste kind of do yeah. both ways. So you just think, like, that type of music didn't exist then, didn't, you know? Yeah. So I mean, Sia is so distinctive, distinctive yeah. specifically her vocal stylings and that just did not exist before 2006 yeah, exactly. or something and it's weird as well because I think there was this conversation when A Star Is Born came out Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born and people were sort of questioning whether you know the pop songs that Lady Gaga's character then goes on to sort of write whether they were intentionally bad and yeah. there was this whole debate about oh you know it's you know it's not meant to be like that but in Vox Lux, I don't understand. I think the music is terrible. <laughs> I think the songs are so, so bad. All of the songs sound like the so-called bad song from, yeah, exactly. from A Star yeah, Is Born. They the, all uh, do. Yeah, the, the ass jeans song. Yeah, <laughs> as, 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 it's as it's known. But you mentioned Michael Haneke, David, and I feel like that is almost like the Rosetta Stone for this entire film because he wears his influences so strongly. And name your provocative European Honestly, auteur of the last 20 Trier years. as well. Even with Childhood of a Leader, mm. I think of sort of anti-Christ. He, he melancholia as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm. So there's a, there's a narration of very on-the-nose narration by Willem Dafoe, of course, who's a Von Trier regular. I was thinking about this. Like, Apparently someone else had done the narration and Dafoe was called in like last minute to, to do it because it wasn't working originally. And it's like, why is Willem Dafoe doing this narration? How is that in any way... Can, what's an old guy... What's the purpose of, of having an old guy narrate this film? Who, whose perspective are we hearing here? Mm-hmm. It's like, is he meant to be some kind of hack journalist who is kind of raking over this and... Oh. The way it's written is is almost like comically over the top. Yeah, <laughs> there's a, there's it's a very, very specific It's very line. sort of overwrought GCSE English kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I, I don't know whether it's making comment of how we we live in such overdetermined times where there is no subtext in popular culture anymore. There's a sequence where we have that very post-Columbine school shooting, but then 9/11 happens, the Twin Towers, and we have lots of footage there, and also of the new World Trade Center. Will and Defoe's narration says something as as very on the nose as 
Celeste's fall from grace and loss of innocence mirrors that of the nation, leaves nothing up to our imagination. But then also Yorgos Lanthimos, I think, is an influence here, at least in the casting of Rafi Cassidy, who was so good in The the Killing of a Sacred Deer a couple of years ago. Both the, the halves of the film have a different character, not least because it feels like they're playing different characters. Natalie Portman is going so over the top <laughs> in her half. I thought the first half was almost a little bit better. I don't know. I definitely think the first half is better. I, I remember I, I saw this at TIFF last year, and by the second half, I just couldn't keep up with it anymore, especially the, the sort of final, I think it's like nearly 15 minutes of a kind of concert performance um, by sort of the older Celeste, Natalie Portman. But the first half, I think Rafi Cassidy really holds her own. I think she's, mm-hmm. she's strong in it. There's the beginning of this thread of perhaps some kind of interesting thought that Corbett's trying to sort of, you know, grasp at. But his ideas are so big. And I think this is the same with Childhood of Leader that he's kind of, yeah, he you know, he wants to be Hanukkah, he wants to be Von Trier. And it's almost this arrogance that comes forward, but it's actually, you know, an attempt at emulating the arrogance of others. And that just seems very naive. And so a lot of his, you know, these enormous ideas just don't pay off and there's actually nothing to grasp at there. There's, mm-hmm. I think that both films are very shallow in their kind of you know, as a whole, there's really nothing to them. But, then, but I think in that, there are certain viewers who might be able to take a lot away from it. I think this is the sort of film that the right person mm. can will go away and write a thesis on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, likewise, you may get zilch from it. Because I don't think Brady Cook, he, he, it is a cynical film. I don't think he really has a perspective or real interest in pop music either. Mm. And it comes out in this wave of films about female pop stars or rock stars, such as Teen Spirit or Her Smell and, of course, A Star is Born. The second half of this film with Natalie Portman Natalie Portman is an acquired taste, especially this late in her career where she goes quite big in her performances. I really did like Jackie. Oh, Team Jackie. Yeah, but I I feel that this is the first time I've seen her in a major role since, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she clearly believed in this performance and in this project. She's an exec producer on it. It was originally Rooney Mara doing that role. Rooney, interesting. I suspect it wouldn't have been as... As big and broad, mm. it's a little bit Bette Midler. I think. <laughs> um, in, in, you know. The second half with the clip that we uh, we listened to reminded me of Ricky and the Flash, Jonathan Demme's movie with uh, with I've um, not seen Meryl that. Streep. Because again, it's this so many tortured, slightly soapy oh, scenes. I mean, Jonathan Demme <laughs> is someone who knows. He has empathy for the purpose of music, so I mean, but I that, suspect that film is. Probably... That's the one saving grace of the film: is yeah. it really cares and believes in music, mm. and Meryl Streep is having the time of her life. And I don't think anyone's having fun <laughs> with this film, even the audience. Really, <laughs> let's put some scores on Vox Lux and put it to bed. Uh, David, I'll come to you first. I would say probably give it a three because it was in the Venice Film Festival originally, and it got some mostly very good reviews, like. Even some, I mean, the Variety review by Guy Lodge is is a real kind of convincing rave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember reading that and thinking, wow, he's U-turned from Childhood of a Leader, which I I didn't really care for. And uh, so maybe like a three for anticipation, measured anticipation. (laughs) And then I found it very frustrating viewing. And I think it's a film that's like, artificially intelligent it's mm. like <laughs> it's an AI film like it, it's a it's a film that in what it's doing and the the 35mm photography and these long steadicam shots and the editing and the the score everything is sort of built to make you think there is substance here and I'm watching this film and I'm waiting for the for the substance to arrive and uh, 
I wasn't able to locate it, so probably a two. And then in Brett, I just have nothing. I just don't <laughs> like this film. No, like in 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 retrospect, there's just nothing I like about this film. So probably a one from me. Yikes, Caitlin. Yeah, I mean, I think it's quite a divisive film because I do know a lot of people that love it and are very vocal in their love for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, maybe I'd agree with three, anticipation. I quite like Natalie Portman. I'm not kind of totally averse to her. I don't I don't particularly like her in this film, but I guess, you know, anticipation-wise, keen to see what she would do. But, yeah, definitely a two, as I was watching. It's just, as David said, it's so frustrating. I don't think there's any real substance to it either it's weird it's very it's very weird I don't think I'm on board with with Corbett's sort of directorial stance at the moment especially not after Childhood of a Leader as well so I'm not particularly keen and yeah in retrospect maybe a two I guess I've still sort of had conversations with people about it it's still inspiring kind of chat and Mm -hmm. sort of ideas in that way I'm really not a fan I I definitely am interested because I'm sure it'll get some very positive reviews when Mm -hmm. it comes out this week or or, you know has already had some Mm. very positive reviews which I'm I'm keen to read you know I'd actually be very keen to see whether I've missed something on Mm -hmm. this because I'm just like you know Emperor not only doesn't have no clothes, <laughs> but doesn't own any clothes. <laughs> yeah. Never been near a tailor. Yeah. yeah, this is a three-two-two for me. Really, that first image was so striking of Natalie Portman from the final concert sequence, glitter and glam, and then you hear about Sia and Scott Walker, and of course that him, him recently passing away. So it's the last music we'll hear from Scott Walker. I was really looking forward to this, but not much in there for me. Although I will hold out to read some good criticism on it. But probably in that mind of, I'd love to see the film that these people are writing about. (laughs) But that was Vox Lux and Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, both in cinemas this week. Up next, we're going back to Zac Efron for Film Club with The Paperboy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So yes, the paper boy, 
to director Lee Daniels' follow-up to Precious, very much cashing in on the Oscar and critical adulation of that film, bringing in Matthew McConaughey, Nicole Kidman, John Cusack, Zac Efron, etc., to tell the story of a reporter returning to his Florida hometown to investigate a case involving a death row inmate. Zac Efron plays the titular role of the paperboy, the reporter's younger brother. I was a swimmer when I was in school. No kidding! Yeah. I was a swimmer. You were? Uh-huh. I swim like a mermaid. Most of my damn career. I think straight hair gives me class. All right. Yeah. So? Well, we was drunk one night, and uh, I just, I lost my temper. Well, I emptied the pool. At your college? The University of Florida. They call that vandalism, I guess. It's actually not as easy to do as it sounds. So you lose your temper often? Mm. This place is full of boys just like you who lost their temper one day. Clip from the Paperboy there, premiered at Cannes in 2012, had a very divisive reaction. David, you were there. How did it go down? <laughs> it wasn't divisive. <laughs> Everyone <the> hated it. <laughs> um... I don't know if well, how much anticipation there was for it, to be honest. Um, it was a bit of a sort of rogue card. I mean, I wasn't a massive fan of Precious, so I didn't go into it with much anticipation. And then, yeah, it just got the most... I'm trying to think, but it's definitely top three loudest boos I've <laughs> ever been present right. in. The films that get booed in Cannes, you can have a really bad film that has a kind of conventional good guy gets the bad guy ending... And people will clap because it's like, you know, I feel like I've been given some conventional mm-hmm. payoff here. But this ends in a very sort of just, it just sort of like fades out almost. And it's those films that get the biggest boos. I mean, another one was Personal Shopper, the Olivia right. Isaias film. That ends in a in quite a sort of sudden, almost like middle of a scene. Or, mm-hmm. And that got big boos. And eventually people love that film, but mm-hmm. it's because it ends in a kind of abrupt way. But there is also loads of bad stuff in this film. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the biggest boost I've ever had at Cannes was uh, the, the Last Face, the Sean Penn movie, which is a legitimately bad movie. Oh, I missed that. Most I, I, people I'm missed it. that. Um, but The Paper Boys is a film on rewatch. Has it grown? Is there more fun to be? Do had you know with what? It? It's it's interesting. I, I coming back to it to the scene of the crime <laughs> six years later, seven years later. It definitely wasn't as as awful. It was bad, but it's like definitely like there's a kind of superficial silliness and enjoyment that that can be had from it. I think so. Pedro Almodovar was originally going to make this film. Right. It was it was going to be his English language debut, and he passed on it, which seems understandable <laughs> now. But because I'm not sure what he would have been able to do with this material, and it, and and actually, those who know Almodovar, he started off as this kind of very punk. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. exploitation filmmaker more in the kind of John Waters world and his first film is called Peppy Lucy Bomb and there is like scenes of people urinating on one another and like that <laughs> that it feels like the paperboy is like a hark back to like early Pedro Almodovar mm-hmm. like this was a time when Almodovar didn't have any real sense of narrative fitting things together it was just little scenes how can we get someone pissing on someone else in this <laughs> film how can we get this other outrageous thing in this film 
And that's what the paperboy feels like to me. <laughs> it's a bunch of scenes yeah. that are kind of very, very tenuously strung together. Like, mm-hmm. just let's try and get outrage at five minute intervals. On first watch, <laughs> did you get this? Uh, uh, yeah, no, I had it? exactly the same reaction to it. I think, I mean, if you're watching this for the kind of crime narrative, it's just not particularly clear or well sort of organised, structured. I mean, it's obviously not meant to be just about the crime story, but that bit is very, is, is really underdeveloped considering you've got like John Cusack and Nicole Kidman kind of as this this sort of strange prison couple, I guess. Um, but yeah, the, the story about that is very kind of pushed to the side and these other elements start to start to come forward. But I think that is to its detriment because it just mm-hmm. sort of gives the film this really lacklustre kind of foundation. And yeah, it is sort of just, you know, how can we shock and make everyone, you know, feel a bit hot and bothered in sweaty Florida? <laughs> it's the sweatiest but film I've seen in a long film, while. Yeah. yeah. It is funny, you mentioned these scenes, David. I, I remember when this film screened in Cannes, the, the, we talked about Nicole Kidman p***ing on Zac Efron, <laughs> the, the, the sort of masturbation scene across the, the interview the prison, room yeah. at the prison with John Cusack. Is this a film that is probably best left as, you've you got to watch this someday <laughs> yeah, I th- <laughs> because I, of these I, scenes? I, I, I mean, it's really kind of not a film that's talked about at all anymore Mm -hmm. you know in hindsight it has you know I think it's quite interesting looking at where Nicole Kidman went and at this point she was known for doing kind of like solid Oscar bait movies and doing this Mm -hmm. which she got a Golden Globe nomination for but it feels like she got to a point in her career and thought I just want to do something crazy and different. Mm, yeah. I want to be a character actor now. I want to do some some silly stuff. Yeah. So well, It feels like a fulcrum movie for a few members of the cast. Is this the, when John Cusack goes away from being leading man and starts mm. doing these stranger roles that were leading down the road to Chirac and, and, and so on? Bigger roles and now more straight-to-video type roles. Yeah, no. McConaughey. I know you recently re- revisited yeah, a few of his films, but this is one of the big films of the McConaissance, right, as well? This, this is, and I think my thesis about the McConaissance being a fraud... <laughs> <laughs> um, he's essentially playing exactly the same character. You know, he's charming, fast-talking. He plays a journalist in this film. Southern drawl. Southern, is yeah, his, his kind of yeah. charming southern drawl. But, like, so there, there is a murder at the beginning of this film and Cusack's character has been put in prison and is on is essentially on death row for the crime. And uh, reasons I didn't quite get, yeah. <laughs> McConaughey and his partner, played by David Oyelowo, they're determined to get him off. Yeah. Even yeah. though he's... This vile guy (laughs) who has clearly done some bad stuff. Mm -hmm. But there is this actually really the kernel of an amazing (laughs) film here about like, it almost doesn't choose to explore this at all. But like, you have the horrible John Cusack, who's this horrible, sweaty pervert in prison. He lives in this swamp as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, then you've got uh, Nicole Kidman, who's having this kind of correspondence romance with him. Yeah, she also and, wants to get him off. And she yeah. also wants to get him off in more ways than one. <laughs> and eventually he get, they get him off. <laughs> Sorry. He, <laughs> he is exonerated. Yes. And suddenly he is out of prison and, she, and he's like, all right, Nicole Kidman, you're coming to live with me on my, with on, me my, on, my, on my swamp. And she's like, oh my God, I've made a terrible mistake. And, and that idea is like, you know, the idea of like the prison romance that goes wrong. Yeah. That I scene mean, is actually really horrible though when he kind of returns home and she's, you know, facing up to what he's about to offer. Like, you know, yeah. It's actually awful. I mean, imagine all those like people who fall in love with um, 
Charles Manson yeah. <laughs> and want to marry Charles Manson. It's suddenly, similar to Caius Scodelario in the Bundy flick. Yeah. It's that same Suddenly name. Charles Manson's out of prison and you're like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't prepare. <laughs> and yeah, you kind of think, you know, yeah. had Bundy got off, then what would have happened? Well, speaking of Bundy, we should mention Zac Efron, this being one of his first major dramatic roles, I suppose, or at least in this in this independent cinema vein. He he had done High School Musical and Hairspray beforehand. We had a listener comment from Rob Creed saying he thinks that Zac Efron holds his own opposite Kidman. Is he given the chance to surprise in it? No. But did he build off it in future roles, such as Baywatch, <laughs> Bad Neighbours, <laughs> etc.? Do we think Zac Efron's good here? I think it's odd because this is obviously, you know, we're talking about Brady Corbett as well, kind of going down that darker path and the the way that sort of Robert Patterson and Kristen Stewart have tried to do as well. And I guess this is Zac Efron kind of trying to do that, but by playing the sort of wholesome, innocent, this sweet teenage boy who's kind of, well, not teenage, but sort of early 20s, um, who's, you know, trying to woo an older woman. And I think it works because at that time in his career, like he still kind of embodied that, that high school musical persona and, and he was very much seen in that light so it does work in terms of he just seems like a child in mm-hmm. this movie and you know compared to McConaughey and Kidman and Cusack and you know I don't particularly think his acting kind of stands up <laughs> against the others but then again they're kind of overdoing it a fair bit each of them mm-hmm. themselves so for me it kind of works but yeah. probably because it's bad <laughs> well, it, it feels like stunt casting more of the ilk of Spring Breakers where you have a filmmaker who wants to get in a Disney star yeah. for the thrill of twisting them so yeah, this is yeah, the yeah. film in which yeah, yeah, Zac yeah. Efron gets picked on is that, that, that's <laughs> and that's what it was yeah. when it came out <laughs> that was the I think that was the reason that, that people gave to like shell out money to see this film and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think many people did in the end so and, um, and then really since then Lee Daniels has had a TV career, of course, but The Butler's his only film since. Yeah. Yeah. Which I never... I saw it when it came out. Mm -hmm. Not a major fan. It's another John Cusack big performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nixon? One of the presidents. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was The Paperboy. Next week for Film Club, we're going to talk about Trouble Every Day, starring Vincent Gallo and Beatrice Dahl. That is Claire Denis, because lead film next week is Claire Denis' new film High Life, starring Robert Pattinson, sci-fi, sexual (laughs) odyssey of its own. And then the second film, new release next week, is Detective Pikachu. I am going to make sure I tune in for that episode, because I know for a fact that... I mean, this week we were were all pretty, like, on the level with these films. Turns out (laughs) Detective Pikachu is maybe the most divisive film of the year. Is it really? Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. amongst our uh, commentary crew. Oh, so next week we have Hannah and Adam uh, of of, of this parish. We won't. Let's keep it a secret who loved it and who didn't. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it's extremes. I would keep any, like, blunt objects out of the room, to be honest. (laughs) Well, let us know. Maybe the listeners can predict which way it's going to go. Let us know at the usual channels, at Truth and Movies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com, via email, or at the comments section at ldwilies.com slash podcast, and let us know what you think think of Trouble Every Day as well if you do watch it. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us this week. Any other business? Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, a little shout out to uh, Bechdel Test Fest. We have an event coming up on the 11th of May um, at the Barbican Centre. We're um, hosting a screening of upcoming release Madeline's Madeline, mm-hmm. which is a really wonderful film. And we've got the director, Josephine Decker, coming in to do a Q&A afterwards as well. So please come along and join us. Um, you can find us at Bechdel Test Fest on social media, um, tickets on the Barbican website as well. 
Terrific. And David, anything from Little White Lies currently? I suppose we're looking ahead to Cannes, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Adam and Hannah are heading to Cannes for us this year. I'm uh, hitting the bench mm-hmm. for, the, for, for the first time in eight years, I think, oh, which, is, wow. which is a bit sad, but, you know, mm-hmm. must be done. If you want to do a 10-minute standing ovation at any point during the day or yeah. maybe loudly boo in the office, yeah, I'm sure you can do that. Yeah, or uh, eat some, like, really stodgy food <laughs> at a very... Um, Ungodly hour. Ungodly hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and wake, wake up at 5am. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Well, <laughs> thank you, David and Caitlin, for joining me. We'll see you next week. I've been Michael Leader. And as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.